basketball is back and we brought someone on the show that we're really excited to talk to a brand new guest to talk about his journey and to give our awards picks for this season ian who are we talking to today we are pleased to welcome to the from the stands podcast we have been uh, waiting for this but our our friend here hayes gardner has been busy he is an enterprise writer for the Louisville Courier Journal. Hayes, thank you for coming on. I know how busy you are. I appreciate it, man. How are you? I'm good, Ian. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you guys. That's a mouthful well, of a publication, Ian. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Took a couple tries, but we did it. So, hey, I want to jump right into it. Um, you know, as people could probably guess, you're out in Louisville right now, but we kind of want to talk about how you got there in the first place. But before we talk about your rise through, you know, uh, the media business and sports media, we have to talk about your time at school, particularly in college. Now, I don't know if Sean knows this, but you were a four-year basketball player at Grinnell College. And if people that are listening know that name, that Grinnell College, it is because that's where Jack Taylor got buckets when he put up 103 points in an NCAA game which is obviously the most ever. So I want to talk about your time as a student athlete, but I also got to talk, I got to get right off the jump. Tell me about the Jack Taylor night. Well, first of all, you, you, nothing you said, said was wrong, but you, you should say that me and Jack combined for 138. I think it That's true. Bad. That's true. That's true. Um, I, I had zero off the bench. Um, Jack had 138. <laughs> Uh, on the court. Uh, that was a crazy night. That was my sophomore year of college. And like when Jack scored all those points, it was crazy. I mean, he took a bunch of shots. He scored a ton. We knew it'd be a big deal. Like we thought it'd be, uh, you know, people might tweet about it, but we had no idea it would be like you know, every year on November, uh, right before Thanksgiving, every outlet tweets like eight years ago today or seven years ago today, Jack Taylor. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea it'd be that big. He he hit like seven threes in a row in the second half. Um, it was I mean it, it was nuts to watch. Um, it, it was really exciting. And then I remember that night we Dan Patrick mentioned it, and then they interviewed all these NBA players about it, and all the NBA players were saying his name. And, and I didn't sleep that, that night at all, just reading about it uh, online as a, as awards spread. So that, that was that was like a crazy that was a crazy moment to be a part of. Did anyone on your team at any moment just yell from the bench, Jack, pass the fucking ball? <laughs> one of my buddies we always joke that he was selfish because he scored uh 11 points that game <laughs> my buddy Aaron scored 11 points. um we were all happy for him but yeah it was a ton it was a ton of shots for jack taking he was uh, a great scorer but yeah with Aaron about selfishly scoring 11 points well and look i gotta say so i i this night fascinates me was the game plan just get him the rock and get out of the way and at the end of it was was were his arms just exhausted i think his arms were exhausted i remember he didn't sleep much that night either because he had to do a bunch of interviews i saw him the next morning on the way to, the way to class and i think he said he slept like two hours um which i'm sure that only made like all that all those interviews probably made him more tired from uh shooting all those shots that whole night but our plan was to give him a bunch of shots because we wanted to get him going he was, he was a really good scorer uh, he'd, been, he'd been off the first few games, I remember right, and Coach wanted to get a bunch of shots. So he took a bunch in the first half, and he had like 50 points at halftime or something like that. I get, he might have closer to 60. Coach was like, let's just keep, keep uh, letting Jack shoot. 
So then he, he just kept shooting and shooting. And uh, I mean, at, at the end, it was just like he was taking every shot. And, and then when he hit seven in a row, that's when things really got because he had a bunch of points, but it wasn't like going to be a record going to be this massive deal. But when he hit seven threes in a row, that put him, uh, I think I might have put him up to 100, 130 or something like that or to it. And that was nuts because the year before, a guy on our team that scored 89 points in the game because Grinnell plays very fast paced. The numbers are, are usually uh, really they're video game esque. So he'd seen something similar to this, but 138 was what was even, even exaggerated from the 89. He shot 71 threes. Like, yes, that's, that's crazy. Yes, that's crazy. The numbers are it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot per minute. Like if you do, he had he had and he played like almost every minute. He, um, well, I would think so. He didn't leave the court much, which is abnormal for our system. Um, but he played a bunch of that game and just like shot like like constantly. Yeah. And, and, and we 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 won by like forty points, something like that, fifty points. It was it's like it was one of the highest scoring games probably in several history because they had one hundred twenty some odd, we had one hundred seventy some odd. 179-104. But Hayes, this isn't the Jack Taylor podcast. We, we didn't land Jack. We landed Hayes Gardner. So let's talk about your junior year because that's when you that's when you got the most playing time. All right. Solid yeah. 34 minutes in 16 games. You shot a Corvian 67% from three. Right. What was working that year other than the ball going in the hoop? Well, the ball did go in the hoop four times. Uh, um, which is where that percentage comes from. Um, I, I never looked it up, but I just assumed that I had the best three-point percentage in the country that year, minimum six attempts. I've never checked that, but <laughs> I think that, that that's, that's the case. Um, I played more my junior year and senior year, and those shots almost exclusively came in the last two minutes of blowouts. Uh, I think all of them did, actually, which is really when the, the start them. So I would go in – the end and just like chuck a three and sometimes it sometimes it, it, it went in i think in my career i made one two-pointer um and, and then like several three-pointers which our team was more into shooting three-pointers and and they're just more fun to launch it at, at the end of games so obviously your role with the squad was more than playing heavy minutes um but yes. you did get to check into some games and get some shots up did you ever hit the point where and I'm probably leading you somewhere here, where maybe in your senior season where you just YOLO'd and started chucking whenever you got in the game. How, you know, when that happened, was there ever a time where, where coaches maybe didn't want you to do that, wanted you to run within the system? Well, I, well, I mean, so my last couple of years, I, I would play legitimate minutes sometimes. And my role was go in there, just play as fast as I could for a minute, just to kind of bring some energy to the team. You know, I mean, the way our system was played, like I was, I was definitely worse than a lot, a lot of guys on the team, like almost everybody, pretty much. But if, I, but if you can like just play really hard, really fast for a minute, no matter how, uh, I if you aren't that good, you can still like help the way our, way our team played. So I would do that uh, every every couple of games. I play like a minute or two, and we'll just run around try to get a steal. And I, I force a few turnovers, things like that. Then at the end of games, when I would go in, um. Uh, we'd still kind of play the system, but usually we're up 30 and coach didn't really care that much at that point. I do remember, uh, I think it was my, our last game ever at home, um, my senior year, my birthday. And the last night we were playing and we were up like 30 and there was like 30, um, 
there was 30 seconds left. Well, maybe it must've been less than that. The shot clock was off and we had the ball up 30. So you really shouldn't shoot the ball if you're up um, 30 with the ball. But it was my last game ever. And I, I think I hadn't taken a shot yet. And it would have been senior day or I, I had, I made up some excuse in my head for why I was okay. Uh, and, and I got the ball in the corner. And I'm pretty sure someone yelled on the conventional, they don't shoot. And I just uh, ignored that piece of advice and just launched from the corner. Um, that might have been the time where I put the three goggles. I can't remember if that, that was the game. Um, but I, I launched a three, hit it, tried to be nonchalant the way down the court. Like I really tried to be nonchalant. Uh, and then the student section was very excited. They knew it was my birthday. They already sang happy birthday a couple of times. And my uh, uh, friend was on the court with me. We chest bumped. It took five seconds left on the clock. Semi playing defense. Um, and then I, and in the, in the handshake line, the other guys were like, uh, they're happy. the opposing team was like, they they said like, hey, good shot five. Like they were, they, they didn't feel like I was being a jerk. They <laughs> really tell people were excited because they knew it was our last game. So probably not in the sportsmanship rule book do you take a shot of 30 shot clock off. Uh, I may have uh, broken the unwritten rules there, but I'm happy I did. I'm actually shocked you didn't end up, end up on Sports Center for a different reason. The other team just cold clocking you in the, in the handshake line. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. but let's let's move off of basketball. So you know, following your time at school, you, you got right back into sports and you moved out to uh, to Portland, and you even got in with the Oregonian covering high school sports. But you also wrote for ten other publications. Do I have that right? Like, tell us about that experience and, and, and how, how do you get ready for that? You do have that right, Sean. Um, I moved to Portland after I graduated. I had a job as an AmeriCorps member with a nonprofit. And I was working there full time at, at a high school. Um, and AmeriCorps, you don't get paid that much. So I needed some extra money. Um, also, I really wanted to pursue journalism. So I, I wanted to do this nonprofit work, but I still want to keep my foot in the door um, journalism wise. So I just emailed the Oregonian. I didn't think they'd, they'd, they'd give me a, a gig, but during high school football season, uh, newspapers really need people to cover high school football games. So um, it, I didn't have that impressive of a resume, but uh, I talked to them for a little bit, showed them some clips I'd written. I, I'd, actually, I'd interned previously for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, so that helped. I started covering high school football games. Uh, that, and I do that you know, every Friday. Then I would do um high school soccer high school basketball etc and then they got bigger the next year I was doing more and more um then by my third year I was just writing my third year in Portland I no longer was working for the nonprofit, just freelance writing for the Oregonian but also other papers so for example um if you remember the uh, the PK80 was Thanksgiving 27 yep. it was a huge college basketball tournament in Portland that's actually really mm-hmm. well, 16 teams there are two arenas um, really, really well done, uh, this massive tournament. And I was there every day. I wrote for like four or five papers that day. I just uh, reached out to the Indianapolis Star and said, hey, do you all need someone to cover Butler on Thanksgiving Day? I doubt you're going to send somebody out here from Indianapolis. And so I wrote for the Indianapolis Star, freelance for them covering Butler a few games. I wrote a story for the Austin American Statesman when Texas played Duke. Um, mm-hmm. or the Oregonian when Portland State beat Stanford. A bunch of stuff like that. And then I would just pitch stories to newspapers across the country. Whenever there was some, maybe a high school player in Oregon was going to a school elsewhere, like going to college elsewhere. 
So I pitched a story of papers across the country. And, and then I got a lot of no's. Most of you said no when I pitched a story, but enough success <laughs> that I, I got a few bylines. Well, I do actually remember that PK80 tournament. Um, and I think, did Duke win it, if I remember correctly? Yes, that's right. Duke won it. There were two tournament. There were two tournaments in one, and Duke definitely did win one, I believe. Yeah, I think. Did you, I think that's. It was Bagley. Did you ever cover for two different papers the two teams that were playing each other? And if you did, do you submit the same article to both papers, or do you have to like tailor it to like ah? The boys from Butler really gave it their all, but then you're writing about Duke. It's like, oh, Coach K's boys were stomping on those uh, those kids from Indiana. Like, how does that work? That's a good, uh, astute question to ask. And thank you, I'm very I, astute. Very astute. Um, I and did not. I had the opportunity to Texas or the Austin paper and the Indianapolis paper both needed someone to cover a game. I think I think that right. It was, but there was an opportunity to, but. It's, it's very hard to do. It's, it's very hard to do both, and they're both on tight deadlines. And so to answer your question, you have to write two different stories. You, they're not the same story because um, the angle's different. It's like, well, Butler blew it, or it's like, well, Texas held on. Well, like, the angle's different for, for, for the, the audience. You have to write for your audience. So it would be very hard to turn around two stories in the same game quickly. Um, I, I, I almost had to do it, but that would have been really, really not, not advisable. You probably screw up one of the stories. Oh, well, that's why I'm not a writer because I'm definitely submitting it and seeing who yells at me first. <laughs> and then maybe the winning team hires me. Who knows? Because I just just praise their team across the country. Well, and I and you ended up you ended up doing that in Oregon for you said I think we said three years, right? Mm -hmm. And then after that, you jumped to the next opportunity. So what allowed you to make the next move? So I, I was. Writing these papers in, in Oregon, but really I was pursuing a full-time gig. Uh, mm -hmm. For reasons, it's just you know uh, more secure to have a full-time job. So I was applying nationally um, and got a job offer in Ames, Iowa, um, to cover Iowa State women's basketball and um, high school sports and other Iowa State sports as well. So I, I've been to I've, you know I've been to college in Iowa, an hour or so from Ames. So I was familiar uh, with Central Iowa, and it was a good it was a good job, good job offer for me at the time. So I w was uh, was pumped about it. I um, I, got, I got the offer, and then a week or so later, I was in the car driving to uh, to, to Iowa, um, and that and that was great. I um, covered a lot of Iowa State sports, and yeah, I was there for a little over a year. I liked it a lot. And you mentioned that you were covering primarily the women's basketball side. And I think what you mentioned to me is that you became an AP voter for, for what the, you know, the rankings, right? For what the top yeah, 25 the, would be? The top, 20, AP top 25 women's basketball. And it seems like your time in Iowa felt like Iowa State sports in general sort of made their move. And now they're, um, they've become like a really really good solid sports school so first of all what was it like being a voter because that's sort of the dream right so how surreal was that i didn't see it coming i had you know when i knew i was going to cover the team i, I talked to a couple of people who cover women's basketball uh for years just to pick their brain talk to them uh, get some advice and now as i was covering the team in the preseason 
uh, I was invited to vote in the top 25 poll, which came out of left field for me, and I was pumped to do it. So you know, every week, I, I, watching as many games as I could. Um, you have your you vote, and you, you have your previous your previous week. You look at how everybody fared. Um, you you make you decide where everybody, everybody should fall based on that week, based on the whole season. Everybody has different um, methodologies, but and I always it, it is tough because you because you look at it, it's like well. Team A is 17 and two, but they lost to this team, but that team's, you know, 16 and five. And it really, the deeper in the season you get, it gets more and more complex and there's no right answer. So it was, it was tough, but not, I, every, it would be Sunday evenings. The, the games would finish because a lot of women's games take place on Sunday afternoons. So those games would finish. And I, I sit down for a bit and, and work on it. It, it was, uh, it, it was, it was um, really interesting. I never, Thought I'd be a voter, but it was it was fine. I did uh, this a year ago as well. I did it last season as well. Um, and then you mentioned how Iowa State, you know, did seemed to do well while I was there. I, I feel like I, I timed it right. I was there when mm-hmm. the women's basketball team, when they had their best team in more than a decade, the best player arguably in school history. The football team was kind of on the start of an upward trend, um, which this year they were in the Big 12 championship game. The basketball team, the men's team, was good that year as well as a six seed, I believe. So I, uh, I, I think I timed it, timed it pretty well. Well, at least the top of your board wasn't too difficult. It was just what Penn and UConn every week, and then figure out two through two, two through twenty five. Or what year was this? This was uh, well, it was two years ago, and ooh, maybe not then. UConn, UConn was not as it was that, Notre they were still Dame, right? Top five. Yeah, it was Dame, right? Yeah. Do what? It was Notre, Notre Dame. Notre Dame was the team, wasn't it? Yes, Notre Dame yeah. was really good, um, and then uh, Oregon was really good as well. Yes, it was. You know, it, it wasn't just like put UConn in, in Sharpie um, at the top because it, it would fluctuate. And then um, I think Stanford might have won for a week. I can't remember because there were probably five different number ones, which is definitely you know ten years ago or five years ago was UConn every single week. So, and uh, I thought Mississippi uh, State was so. pretty good too. Because I remember yeah, Dak at the tournament was pretty excited when they upset somebody. They they went to the Final Four maybe a few a couple years before that, and then when I was voting, they I can't remember if they got to the number one, but but they're always like uh, you know, top top five, top ten. Like um, they they were really good. They were you know um, probably got up to number two or something like that during that season. We can already see a pattern here. You know, obviously you take that gig. At the Oregonian, covering high school sports is kind of how you get your, your, you know, you get your feet wet. You start expanding. You get to Iowa. You're co- now covering college basketball, and you land in Louisville, and you're going to cover sports again. But I, I do have a, just an overarching question: How, as a writer, is it different for you when covering high school versus college? Are you a little more tame in your criticism? over high school athletes than college or is it just this is objective this is my or basically this is this is my subjective opinion it is what it is and i'm going to tell it like i see it another astute question i think i'm on fire haze just absolute <laughs> fire um covering high school versus college, i think you have to look at it differently and i don't i haven't covered pro much but i think even for pro you you do as well um for for high school you know, you really, you really don't, you're not really going to gain much by 
criticizing a kid for, for messing up. Um, you, you try to focus on the, uh, the positives more. I mean, you could, you could criticize a coach, I guess, but for high school sports, it, it's more about uh, feature stories. Um, a kid's having a great season, you know, uh, maybe a story about uh, his or her background. Um, not really gonna gonna say this kid really blew it. The kid's six years old. So you're not sh- you're not shitting on seventeen year olds. I'm not shitting on seventeen year old. <laughs> College, you're it's a it's a little more okay. You know, you're uh, eight adults to twenty to twenty one years old now. Uh, people care a lot more. People love high school sports. Talk about large college fan bases. Some of those rival pro fan bases. So um, you do have to have to level up. I, for athletes, it's got to be tough to to um, take that jump. Even though they're the top athletes, you know, at the highest level, the top athletes do face a little more criticism if you are a top recruited D one player. But a lot of the kids you cover at the high school level are going D three. Are are not you know uh, even playing in college. So um, you have to keep that in mind for sure. So. When you were there, what sort of sports, what exactly were you covering in the beginning of your time since you've been in Louisville? In Louisville, my, my, my uh, title was uh, Sports Enterprise, which um, the, the idea was really exciting. It was cover everything. So just write enterprise stories, which often means, um, you know, stories that don't come from press conferences, stories that don't just come from games, uh, more creative ideas. So I was covering a lot of college basketball, but also there's a there's a pro soccer team here in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Um, there's um, high school sports. I did cover some high school sports, but it's primarily college. Um, examples of stuff. The last year, college uh, the men's game moved the three point line back uh, 17 inches last year, and percentages were, were lower than they'd ever been, which makes sense. It's a, it's a long. Right. I wrote a story kind of analyzing. Uh, how that was impacting the game and talk to coaches and players, uh, how it was changing um, basketball. Some people had the theory that like it opened up the offense more and um, almost was an asset to the offense because it created, created more lanes. If you have a wider um, pulls people from the arc, basket, there's more, yeah. there's, there's more um, room to penetrate. And it was the international, it's the international three point line, but the lane is not the international uh, three point international lane size so it creates this, this massive area to penetrate so that was an interesting story that, that i did uh, i looked at um bowls uh college football bowl games give out um gifts to every to, to every player you get 400 worth of gifts it could be like an, uh, a phone or like a gadget or a gift card I was looking at like should should they just like give out cash to these players instead of giving them like random gift cards to like uh i, I don't know what to do for the famous idaho potato bowl I, I just watched that like um i wonder if they give them a bunch of potatoes it's usually something relevant to the the bowl so it was, it was looking to should they update how the bowl games give out money so it's kind of stuff like that the idea was to do more creative stuff than just um what you what you might expect uh from a game or a press conference so you're covering sports and then in june 20 of 20 you make a move to a national story and a national tragedy while covering the Breonna Taylor protests. So when you made that change, what was that process like? Did they come to you and ask you, and how do you change your process from writing about something that 
while serious, and there's a lot of money on the line when it comes to college sports, to something that is clearly bigger than that? Um, yeah, so in Louisville, the protest started on May 28th. It was a massive story, and I was kind of like on the sidelines because I, I wasn't a news reporter. We were still writing about sports, even though uh, the coronavirus had wiped out, you know, pretty much all sports at that time. I don't mean anything had even started back up at that point. So we're still writing about sports. Um, but I told the news uh, desk that if uh, if they needed extra help, I'd be happy to, to help out with coverage of the protests that began uh, over the death of Breonna Taylor. And then in June, the sports editor called me and said, um, for a few weeks, for maybe a month or so, could you go help out with, with covering the protests um, and try to kind of get to know what the protesters and, be, and, and write about what the protest is hoping to accomplish, et cetera. And I was, I had been writing an article about Louisville basketball that when I got the call. So I was kind of, I wasn't really prepared for that. And then um, that evening I, I go to the protest, I'm meeting protesters and then there's a big clash with police. And so I'm running around, uh, there's pepper pepper balls in the air and uh, which are, are little bullets that explode pepper spray. Um, and I was like, wow, this is a long way from college basketball. Um, and so I, I just kind of really kind of jumped in the deep end and spent a lot of time reading about, um, reading articles about the protests nationally, uh, just talking to tons of people. You know, the best way to get, kind of get going on something you're not that familiar with is to talk to a lot of people. So I talked to professors uh, about who studied social movements. I talked to a lot of protesters. Um, I spent, I had first week I, I, I was down at the protest every single day for a few hours, kind of just uh, watching interactions between police and protesters, um, watching marches, et cetera. So I kind of just dove in, um, got to, you know, get accustomed to everything. And then that was June. And then I, I covered the protest for months and I still am, uh, you know, you, you, I still on the news side um, and still covering kind of the protest movement uh, here in Louisville. So I have two quick follow-ups to this. Because obviously, you know, you're as a sports writer, you mentioned that you're getting into more opinion based pieces, right? About, you know, with these different rule changes or this different style of system, this is what I see things going as. But when you're talking about a national story like the Breonna Taylor story, when you're down there, is this more like I'm, if you're just relating it back to sports, I'm reporting the game as I see it, or are you diving more into opinion based pieces? after collecting all of this information, talking to relevant people that can talk to these in-depth issues. Right. Uh, I, I was, I wasn't in a lot of opinion stuff on sports, but you're right. I did do a little bit of opinion stuff. We had kind of a mini column I would do sometimes when it came down to the protest. I mean, it's obviously not a three point line anymore. You're not talking about. No, it's, legit, know, it's are, actually life or death. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's more, you know, a lot more important stuff. So, I mean, you just trust your instincts. I talked to a lot of people. Um, I would form a lot of thoughts, talk to my editor. You know, it it, 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 it was different, but there still is objectivity you need to have when you're covering sports. So that does, you know, come over to, to, to this side. It's just enhanced because it, it means much more. It's just so much more important. So um, you have to be cautious in that and how you report things. Um, 
but the principles were the same. The principles were, uh, I, I had to see what was going on, get to know uh, the movement well, and try to write a story that kind of, um, try, try, try to write a story that explain the movement, um, you know, try to give readers a sense of, of what people were saying in the protest, um, similar to sports, but obviously just times a thousand in terms of importance. I have so many follow-up questions here. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to end on this one. When the NBA returns, and obviously there's a heightened sense of visibility to this issue. I'm not asking you for an, basically, you know, what that might have meant or, you know, basically your opinion on them, obviously bringing light to this issue. What I mean is someone who's in Louisville, did you notice a temperature change at all? Did things start to get different in those protests? Was there more momentum following all of the out, the, the outspoken words that were coming from members of, of the NBA, members of the black community, just in general from the national media? Did you notice a temperature change in the city? You mean after after Jacob Blake? After Jacob Blake, yes. But even still, as we get to through, we get to the bubble. You know, it's you know uh, justice for Beyonce Taylor. We have people mm-hmm. really bringing you know a lot of press to this. You know, did you notice a temperature change with the continued reinforcement of the fact that you know something like this happened? Right. Um, maybe a slight temperature change, but um, the protest w- was. You know, during that time, over the summer, it was, it was, the protest was large. Uh, every night there was a big march, uh, 100 plus people every night. Um, I, I saw there was probably a small temperature change with the enhanced eye on it. I mean, at that point, I think that Oprah Winfrey put up billboards in August, I believe was the month, uh, all over Louisville. So everyone knew there was uh, all eyes on Louisville in part because of things like the NBA, in part because of Oprah Winfrey, in part because presidential candidates were talking about it. So for all those reasons, and one protest leader, um, he said this to me a number of times, he, he, there'd be a march, and this might be, you know, day 90 or, or approaching day 100 of the protest, and he'd be like, he said, the whole world's talking about Louisville, Kentucky. Like, we have a chance to um, have our voice heard. So it was not lost on the protesters that people were paying attention all over the country. And, and, all, and all over the world. I have people, I have people email me from um, BBC uh, in England, people from multiple, people would, would uh, Twitter message me from uh, several countries. People were watching all over. Right. So the last thing I want to sort of ask you about with this is at what point did you, or maybe maybe you never did, but when you woke up in the morning or when you went down there at night, did you ever sort of sit back and say, I am literally covering history because this summer is something that this summer was, was a a movement. It was not, you know, one of these things that we're going to look back on and say, Oh yeah, remember that. It's one of those things like this summer could really change the world and change the way that people think and to change the way that people act. Did you ever feel that? when you were in the middle of it or were you just, were you just working? Kind of both, you know, I I would, I would occasionally think of that, but primarily it's kind of like when you're in the moment, you're, you're, you're just in it. So I I would, what I was thinking about was what protest was happening that day. What what was I going to write that week? 
Um, I was thinking about, about those things. Um, I would reflect sometimes. Uh, I still reflect now upon it because it's still ongoing. Uh, it's less um, noticeable. Um, so I, sometimes I would reflect. Primarily, though, it was uh, it was just you know each each day just thinking about what what, what was going to happen that day. You know, mm-hmm. happening today, what's happening tomorrow. Um, protesters protesters often say, you know, uh, this is history. So. So that didn't make me think about that. I, I there was one professor I interviewed who I talked to about how this compared to past social movements. So I did think about it, its place in history because it was and is the largest social movement um, probably nationally in, in 50 years. Um, so I did think about that, but primarily I was thinking about what's happening today. And you mentioned reflection. In your times of reflection, were you ever overwhelmed? Uh, I don't feel like because um... because here's the thing. I think this is what makes you and I've known you a little while, but you are the type of person who, to me, um, is someone that's able to handle this sort of stuff better than I would. I mean, I'm uh, and it, it, anyone here could tell you my brother could tell you I'm an insanely emotional person. I always have been. Um and it's obviously something I've I've been working on, but you don't strike me as the person that would, you know, maybe overreact in a way that I would. Um, but I'm curious, like in that reflection, were you ever just like, holy shit, like this is, were you ever just overwhelmed? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, it was overwhelming at times. One time I think of is when um, in late June, there was a protester who was killed. And that was, that was a very, uh, you know, maybe overwhelming, maybe, maybe just, you know, take a step back and breathe for a second. Um, Cause he was a, a 27 year old dude uh, who was um, photographing the protest and he was just mistakenly, he was, he was shot, you know, and, and it wasn't someone was trying to kill him. It just what was really uh, someone shooting erratically. Um, so that was pretty, um, I don't know the right word is, but it definitely makes you. Was it like your holy shit, this is real moment? Yeah, I mean, I knew it was real, but it, 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 this is this is so real that, um, that 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 this guy who a lot of people knew is now dead. So that that was that was very tough. I was there. I talked to people who who had been there when it happened. People were crying, telling me their story, and and been right there. Um, and so and so that was that was tough. Um, that yeah that was tough and that the next day actually yeah, the, the day after he died uh former nba player steven jackson was in town there was a big uh rally and it was and 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 he was the the guy who had died wasn't the the focus of um of this rally and it was just like wow the movement movement goes on um and then after that there was a big vigil for him there's just a lot of different um things going on after that. That was, you know, the, the toughest moment. Um, well, that was of the summer. And then actually two other protesters who I knew uh, were um, each killed in the last couple of months. So that's, that was, uh, those, those two who I knew, who I talked to many times, that was pretty shocking, disheartening, uh, devastating, et cetera. Um, so there's been a few times where it's just been like, man, this is, it's a lot to take in. Well, this is going to be the worst transition ever. 
because this is some real shit, but we also brought you on here to have a little bit of fun, Hayes. So we're going to yeah. get to our NBA, our NBA preview. We're here. We've done multiple podcasts, multiple guests have come on to do over-unders in the East, over-unders in the West, general NBA previews, but we're here. The Brooklyn Nets are killing the, uh, the Golden State Warriors. Warriors right now. We got Lakers Clippers tonight, but we got to give out our NBA awards mm-hmm. for this year. So let's dive right in to the MVP. Some notable members in the race for MVP this year, when it comes to gambling, Luka Doncic is plus 300, Steph Curry's plus 550, Giannis is plus 650, AD and LeBron are both plus 900. So those are the favorites. Hayes, of those favorites, who do you think has the best chance to win most valuable player? Oh, I I, uh, I get to be the guinea pig. I, I get to go first. Yeah. Um, I I think it's funny that that AD and LeBron are um, have the same odds, but I think I think that's fair. I, I like I like LeBron to win the MVP. That's so that's why I pick. I, I say that because this is probably his last year. I would think he has a chance. Maybe he'll, um, you know, lead, like leave leave all the gas on the floor. Uh, leave it to try all I can to kind of dump it on this season to not only win the MVP, but obviously, uh, win a championship. I do feel like he's just father time is undefeated and LeBron isn't going to be LeBron in a couple of years. So I, I kind of think that it, it could be, it could be LeBron. I do think Luca's too heavy of a, of a, not a favorite, but the, the uh, best chance plus 300s. I, I would, I think that, that Luca might be, he's excellent. But there's so many good, good, good guys. I don't know if I take Luca plus plus three hundred. Um, plus three hundred is ridiculous. Okay, it's right. it's it's ridiculous. Like that's because of the, the hype. There's so much hype. Of course, of course wow. it is. There's a very good chance he wins this. Do not bet plus three hundred, please, listeners. Do not bet bet plus three hundred. So you got LeBron. Ian, LeBron. are you are you agreeing with Hayes? I, I, I get you on the Luca thing. I, I I do think with that offense, with that coach, with that team it's hard not to look at Luca and be like, okay, you know, it, it makes sense that he's the favorite, but you're right. Plus 300. It, it just isn't there. Um, look, it, it's hard not to like Giannis at plus 650. you know, considering in that system um, he's a regular season animal, but look, I mean, how many players in the history of the NBA have won three straight MVPs? And I'll give you a hint. They both wore the same color Jersey. So, you know, it, it's, it's Russell and bird. That's the end of the list. So for him to do that, not in the early nineties, Michael. I, I mean, when I googled it today, when I googled today, that's what I found. Michael, to me, maybe he's the third. But again, we're talking about such a low percentage that is Giannis in that tier? I just don't feel that he is, and that's not a shot at Giannis. Um, initially, I didn't mind Curry at plus five fifty, but ever watching the Warriors tonight. Yeah, I don't see a pathway there. I don't know that he's going to win the MVP and miss the playoffs. Um, you watch a half of basketball and steps out. Yeah, and I, you know, it, I don't know. It, that one's tough. To me, I look. I wouldn't bet it because the odds suck. But to me, I think Luca's going to win the MVP. It's so, either or, or, or honestly, it's the guy on the other side tonight. Well, so that's where I want to get to. Because mm. I also agree that if I'm going to pick someone to win MVP, I'm going to pick Luca, right? Right. With that said, 
I think AD and LeBron cancel each other out too much. I also think a, I also think LeBron's going to sit too much this season because he should. Why why shouldn't he? He he's on the best team. Think about the title. The title means more. And I, I know that he's going to feel really shunned by not winning last year with the storyline that came with it. Ian, by the way, you were right. Michael Jordan's uh, three peats for uh, league MVP were split up by Charles Barkley, Magic Johnson, Carl Malone, and Carl Malone. So, no, right. he did not win it. They were all split up. Uh, he won three and four years and then two and three years. So, yeah, I would pick Luca from that, but there is some long shots or longer shots that we want to mention. You know, some like Damian Lillard at plus 1,800, Kawhi Leonard at plus 2,000. Sean, before you go there, sorry to interrupt you. The one thing I just want to say before we move on, there is such a thing because you so, you're on fire today. You mentioned those three guys who jumped in front of Michael. Those are a classic case. Now, Barkley, I believe, deserved the MVP, and I believe it was, uh, was it 90? No, Malone was 97. It might have been 94, something like that. I think Barkley obviously deserved. 92, 93. Okay, so he deserved the MVP that season. I mean, that Suns team was amazing. Malone didn't. And I think what you're seeing is you saw this in 2009 with Derrick Rose, that you get a certain level of voter fatigue. And I think you're going to see that a little bit with with Giannis. So I just don't think it's smart to put your money there. But let's go long shots. Ian, it's a 0% chance Giannis wins. Yeah, I, I don't the, the media is not putting him back in there again. Okay. Yeah, he signed his his supermax. But you know, it, to him, it's more it's more about the finals. So he's not winning, even if he has an outstanding year. He'd have to put up like wilt numbers to get there. So, you know, I mentioned some long shots: Dame Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, Devin Booker. I'm going to jump in quickly here, and then Hayes. It doesn't have to be someone on the board here because anyone who isn't in the top five is good value. To me, like if I'm actually betting money, I'm betting on Kawhi. I know this contradicts what I said about LeBron because we're talking about captain rest here, okay? In Kawhi Leonard, you know, love you, Kawhi, won us a title, but twenty to one is crazy odds. It's that's ridiculous. Like he is or was like eighteen months ago considered the best player on the planet, coming off a really, really subpar or embarrassing playoff exit i think they are gonna and i said this on our previous pod i think the clippers are gonna put a lot more stock in the regular season than the lakers are because i think that they're going to want to prove something get those demons out at least in the regular season as much as possible and he's clearly their best player he's one of the top three players in the nba i i'm i i put money on him like it, it happened so i am choosing Kawhi out of that is there anyone that we maybe didn't mention that you would be like i would sprinkle something on someone like that um, well, we mentioned him, but the guy I was going to say who's not a betting favorite is Lillard. Yes, sir. Preach. He, it's it's a it's always going to be a long shot with him. And as a side note, I was thinking this earlier the the NBA MVP is such a challenging award to win, and I don't mean that just just for the obvious, but like in baseball, there are two MVPs for each league. In football. It's really just you have to be the best in your position pretty much to win the NFL. You have to be the best quarterback in recent years to win the award. A guy like Lillard, in in other, you know, maybe leagues, he would have had an MVP because he's had some incredible seasons. But when's he ever going to win one? There's so many other elite players. For, for Dame to win one, it would take him having his best season yet, the, the Blazers 
exceeding all expectations and being a three seed, maybe something to that effect. That's dude, get out of my brain. That's possible. So for a long shot, I I, I, I like Dan. So see, let's talk about the roadmap quickly. And the roadmap to Lillard winning is just like you said. Can they get the three seed? Can they get the two seed? Mm-hmm. And if Dame goes berserk for four or five straight months, going 35, eight and five, shooting 12 threes a game and breaking the internet like he did in the bubble, I there's a roadmap. Like I wouldn't bet my life on it, obviously, but there is a roadmap here because he's got a better team than Curry. He's got a better supporting cast than Curry. And he can, he can curry his way to this, I think. And again, I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't, bet my life on it but if you're looking for a long shot with the biggest chance it's Lillard plus that dude is universally loved so you don't have to worry about you know the media is always going to give him a little extra tap yeah what I love is that the stat line that you just threw out for him to win MVP is basically Bradley Beal's stat line from last year, and you didn't have an, him on an all NBA team. That is just, just crazy. 35, yeah. 8, and 5. He, he averaged like 34 points a game or something crazy like that. And it, yeah, he was like, Yeah, but if you do that, see, close. I agree. Close. I, I agree. If you now, do that, he was on a terrible seat. Seat. Yes, I know. I know. That's, that's the roadmap. I agree. Least valuable player. Now, this is going to be a little mean, and it's going to be very, very, you know, subjective. But I went way too deep into this. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I didn't have a lot of time, uh, but uh, this was one where I dove all the way in. Ian, let's throw quickly to you. Who is your least valuable player now that Mario Hozonia does not fit the narrative? And by the way, it's got, it can't just be like a bench warmer here, Hayes. It's got to be, you know, 20 plus minutes, you know, 10 plus usage. Like, it's got to have, he's got to have some, you know, some effect on the overall outcome of the game. So I can't think Jared Dudley? No. I do no, like you can't, you can't take Mar- his and Mario Hazonia is objectively worse than Jared Dudley. You can't Let's, just be like look, his intangibles are great, but he can't yeah. play basketball. You can't do that. So Ian, the, who's the 15th man from Lithuania is not counting in this in this particular no. instance. Honestly, to me, it's Trey Young, and that's a hot take, and people are going to come after me. But that is, look, that is listen ridiculous. <laughs> when I talk about when I when we talk about MVP and we talk about guys that are, make a positive impact towards winning basketball games, particularly when winning basketball games in the important parts of the season, Trey is a generational offensive player, but his D is so unplayable that that team can never succeed past a certain level as a result. And again, it's not just that he stinks. It's that he stinks and he doesn't care that he stinks. Trey Young is literally no joke. Look at any defensive metric you want. The worst defensive player in the league. And I think Trey Young's awesome. He's a fantasy god. But at the end of the day, like until he starts to care, that team's going to go nowhere. And this is a guy who's going to eventually command a max or a super max or God knows what. Has to start carrying on defense. That's my LVP. I told you I went way too deep into this. So I can tell you why Trey Young is not the LVP. 10th in the NBA in estimated wins added to his team. 10th in the NBA in value added to the but overall But is that because product. he's so much better than everyone else on his team? No. Until no, no, this no, year? The, no, it, this is just general general outcome on the game. And 14th in PER. Yes, his usage rate is high. But the offense is so transcendent you that it have makes to affect that defense. winning in the playoffs. 
Well, and yeah, they, they haven't got that's there. not it's not going to happen. He's going to get picked on. Hayes. Oh yeah, no, no. It, yes, yes, agreed. Hayes. I I don't I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't piss off your readers now. I, I'm kind of stumped um, because I can't I can't think of a guy who truly you know hurts his team. Uh, I want I don't want to call him LVP, but I, but I don't think that. Uh, this is kind of a sidebar. I feel like Russell Westbrook is is kind of a guy who I, I wish he, I wish he'd go somewhere where we could watch him a little bit more in the playoffs. I don't see it succeeding, and I love watch him play, but it's a guy who, who I think can be wasted uh, going forward. I don't know what calling him the LVP, but just a guy who, who I think his talent is, is going to be wasted, and I, and I miss watching him be a guy who could go to the finals. The state of Oklahoma is going to be mad at us. Yeah, they're not going to like you. Yeah, the whole, the whole state. <laughs> mine's, <laughs> mine's quick and easy. Mine's Zach Levine. Nothing against Zach Levine. I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's a, great, he's a very good basketball player. 32% usage rate with an estimated wins added at nine. That's not great. Okay, it's, it's just not. Like, you look at the overall. When you're, when you're looking at, the, the, at his PER, his games played, his usage rate – you're looking in those 14, 15s for wins added. And I just look at him as a, you know, good stats, bad team guy. And it's, and it's more a situation with Zach. I would love him to be in a situation where his job is to score the basketball and make great plays, but it's not his sole responsibility to carry a team. That's all. That's all that I would say. And so while I say LVP with it's Zach Levine, I know I've been hard on him on this podcast. I say it with love, Zach. I think you're a fantastic basketball player. I love watching you. You're very entertaining. Rookie of the year. Let's get here quick, guys. Obviously, there's a lot of choices. Let's throw out some gambling here really quick. LaMelo is the favorite at plus 325. Anthony Edwards, plus 450. Obi Toppin, plus 450 for some reason. James Wiseman, plus 550. Killian Hayes, Tyrese Halliburton, both over 10 to 1. Cole Anthony, 45 to 1. And Malachi Flynn, a solid 100 to 1. Throwing in there for you, Ian. Hayes, who's your rookie of the year? I hate to pick the favorite, but I, I do think if I had to pick one, I like Lamelo. Um, he, sh- he showed a little bit in the preseason that he is more ready than maybe I thought he was to play in the NBA. Um, he'll probably have the chance to play a bunch, which, as we know, is usually a big factor. Uh, I'd like it to be someone maybe, you know, Killian Hayes or Halberton or, you know, somebody who might surprise us a little bit. That, that might be more fun um, just, just to mix it up. But I, I, if I had to pick a guy, I'll take Lamelo. So I'm going to run in here as well. I would pick Killian Hayes because I think he's going to be the starter in Detroit, if not now, within like two weeks. So he's going to get the usage. He's at least playing with competent basketball players. I don't think their team is, you know, any good. And that's the team of my youth. But at 10 to 1, I like that. If I was actually, and I did not bet on on Rookie of the Year, but if I did, I would have picked Cole Anthony. Because while I think Killian Hayes is going to win the MVP, or not MVP, Rookie of the Year, while I think he's going to win Rookie of the Year, Cole Anthony would be my pick at 45 to one. Cause I think that he's perfect for what Orlando needs. Uh, you know, a high, someone who can be a high usage scorer. Um, they have, a, we're talking about players around him that could, that can actually play. At least he's playing on a mediocre basketball team with players who can put the ball in the basket. And I think him playing with Vucevic is going to be a big benefit to him. 
with their pick and pop. He doesn't need to make cross-court passes to the corner to Terrence Ross to get assists. You go around the pick, you drive for three steps, pass it to Vooch, and you you have an assist. So I do think that Cole Anthony is going to get the stats, and I think that he's going to get the wins in. Who is your rookie of the year? And you keep, don't say what? Flynn. It can't be. No, I, I my big problem with those two guys, with guys like Lamelo and Anthony, is that what we've seen is inefficient chuckers in this era may not grade out as well as they would have ten years ago. And I worry that if Cole Anthony's putting up five for sixteens and Lamelo's putting up three for thirteens, to be I, fair, I, I picked I, Killian Hayes to win Rookie of the Year. I'm just saying, if yeah, I would have bet I, it, I would have picked Cole Anthony. Just want to yeah, and I, I understand that. And and, and look, I, my guy is Hayes strictly based on the volume and the volume of touches. The And to me, this rookie of the year is going to be a Michael Carter-Williams year. It's going to be a year that's going to be based on sheer volume. And as long as Hayes is producing enough, at enough of efficiency to let the to let the volume speak for itself. I think Hayes is probably the guy. And here's the thing with LaMelo. I think he's going to get a ton of playing time, but when it comes to getting actual shots, now we know he's not shy, but between Hayward, Rozier, and Graham are all ahead of him on the shot pecking order. I'm just interested to see how that's going to play out and who he's going to play out of their spot. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, Look, to me, LaMelo should have went number one because his best skill is better than anyone else's best skill. So taking him at, taking him as the rookie of the year, I, I think, is a solid choice. Sorry, Anthony Edwards. No love from the From the Stands podcast. Most improved player. I'm going to jump in here first. Uh, obviously, we have first. Okay, Jamal Murray and and Shea Gilders Alexander are both twelve to one. Michael Porter Jr. fourteen to one. Tyler Hero fourteen to one. DeAndre Ayton sixteen to one. Obviously, the list goes on and on. There's a lot more names on there. OG Ananobi, guys like that. Jamal Murray is not winning this award. It's impossible. He can't win. Because of his playoff performance, he will not win this award. So do not bet Jamal Murray. Even though technically if you just go regular season to regular season, he has a case or could have a case. It's not going to happen. He's not going to win by the vote because everyone already looks at him as a second best player on a title contending team. So there's no way that he can win this award. SGA, it's it's, it's a lock. He's winning this award. A lock. His usage is going to be through the freaking roof. No, he does not have a lot of competent NBA players playing around him, but at least he's in a culture. And we talk about this a lot, Ian, and I do. Culture of winning can breed success. And they have a culture of winning. Even though this team is trying to lose, it's going to suck when they win more games than they want to because that's what they're used to. That's what they, This is what they do. It's not like they brought in... I'm sorry to pick on you, Hassan Whiteside, but it's not like they brought in Hassan Whiteside. It's Al Horford. Al Horford has a culture of winning. So to me, it's Shea. I I think this is an absolute lock Shea. Hayes, why don't you jump in? Yeah, I I think Shea makes a lot of sense. Uh, Gonna have the chance to do a lot. For the sake of picking somebody different, I'll take DeAndre Aiden. Um, Just uh, (laughs) um, because I I feel like he'll, he's, this is what, year four? You're three? He was three. Tw- he was the 2018 draft, wasn't he? Is, yeah, so he, he he had a rookie season that was suspended for PEDs, and now he's here. Um, I, I feel like he'll, he'll have a chance to – I mean, he's going to put up better numbers, I feel like. Um, the sun will be better. Um, so I, I just think he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good shot to, uh, to, to, to do what he needs to do to, to get the award. 
And Chris Paul makes big guys look good. Yeah. Ian, most improved player. Can you have the jersey sh- and the hat on. Come on. Kick can, can we just throw out a sh- throw out a shout out to the 2018 draft? The top five was Aiton, Bagley, Doncic, Jackson, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Trey Young. That's an absurd top five. Really good. Right? That and we're not even talking. Draft. Yeah. It was, was a, a great draft. Shea Gilgis Alexander at 11, Mikael Bridges at 10, Michael Porter Jr. at 14. Like, this is an absurd draft. And, and um, Michael Porter was like the consensus number one before he got hurt. Yeah, right. My boy right. Aaron Holiday at 23. Um, look, I, my pick was eight and two. I, I just think Chris Paul is going to make him so much better. And, you know, I wanted to look at Michael Porter Jr. I love the Shea pick, um, but I like DeAndre Ayton. We're seeing something here now it's inexcusable that they didn't pick Doncic but you can at least it's at least like mildly defensible now you know it's not like Mar- Marvin Bagley which was completely indefensible the whole time right Hayes um, like that. It, it, it's, it's, <laughs> none of those are defensible it's just not sorry it's not Luka Doncic is is going to be the best player on the planet he's going to win the MVP on the planet Okay. Uh, two quick shout outs. Brandon Clark. I really liked this award. The problem is second year players never win this award because you're supposed True. to get better. And True. TJ Warren is another one, but mm. I, a little bit of a bubble, you know, a bubble boost there. It, it's not Cameron Payne, but TJ Warren does. I kind of like his opportunity here. And we, we had another award we were going to get to. We're not going to get there, but Ian, he was my Pascal Siakam award winner of coming out of nowhere and making a, a leap here. So TJ Warren, shout out. Um, let's get to some not real awards. Some from the stands awards, if you will. Who is the winner, Mr. Hayes, of the NBA's League Pass Champion Award? A player or team that you just can't miss. If your team isn't playing or you're not writing, if they're playing, it's on your TV. Uh, a player or a team? Either. Either. Either? But if it's a player... Than it is the team, I guess. Right. Well, for that, I'll go with I'll go with the Kings. Um, mm, wow. Why? Wow. <laughs> well, I, that's a good like. You didn't see a coming pick. Uh, I think De'Aaron Fox is great. I, I think you'll have um, a I don't know a breakout year, but De'Aaron Fox uh, will be fun to watch. And I, I love teams like the Kings who they're not gonna you're not gonna watch on ESPN. It's not gonna be on ESPN. So if I'm going to watch a league pass, I might as well watch a team, but I don't see much. Who has exciting young players? I feel like and left and lefty point guards and lefty point guards. Yeah, <laughs> Ian, league pass. Who can't you miss? Well, the player I can't miss is Damian Lillard for obvious reasons. We talked about that. Um, the team I will not miss um, whenever I get the time is the Dallas Mavericks because if I get the chance to watch Luca. And Carlisle play that spread game and they're going to run like crazy. It's Dallas. They're so entertaining. And they actually have the chance to be really good if they can get any sort of production out of Porzingis. So to me, Dallas, you know, you know, Hayes makes a good point. I mean, they're going to play a lot on ESPN and TNT and things like that. But, you know, anytime, any chance I get to watch Luka Doncic, I'm taking it. I mean, he's already he, – he, I think – He's getting to the point now. He's not there yet where he's taking the mantle from Steph Curry of like, holy shit, Doncic has 40 in, midway through the third quarter. You have to turn over to see how many points he's going to get. That's sort of where I am there. Hayes, you were astute there. You screwed me up. 
because my two teams were Brooklyn and Dallas, and they're going to be on national television every single night because Brooklyn for obvious comedic right. and talent reasons, Dallas because of Luca, right? Obviously. Right. But you know what? Fuck it. I'll go with the Phoenix Suns. I just think Ooh, that they're going to be a lot. I think they're going to be a lot of fun. And I'm interested mm-hmm. to see how they fit all those pieces together. Cause I do think Ian and I talked about this. I think their starting five is like four, like literally five massive puzzle pieces that are really easy to fit together. Their bench is a 2000 piece puzzle that they're going to have a lot of trouble with. So that's who I'm going to pick. I'm going to go with the Phoenix suns. Um, we have a little, another little game here, Hayes. So we're, we're almost done, but we're going to ask you, and I'm going to start with Ian. We want you to pick your current NBA players. This is your all lefty starting lineup. <laughs> Full transparency. I did not pick one. So you guys get to try and pick your starting five for an all lefty team. And I get to pick who's winning the matchup. So Ian, since you were able to do homework, you get to go first. So to be clear, if Ian takes somebody, I can't. Also- no, you can. No, no, you can. But like yeah. you can mix in. Ian will throw out a bunch of bench guys. And you can, if you say, I like this guy over this or this fit, you can do that. So let's go, Ian. So my my team was SGA and Harden in the backcourt. Uh, ben Simmons and Zion Williamson in the frontcourt. And then I got Sabonis at center. You know, the, the main Ooh, issue that for is, me. That is bricky from, from yeah. the judge. That's a lot of bricks. Well, you know. Yeah, a little bit. But the hard part was guard because, you know, you do have options like De'Aaron Fox and D'Angelo Russell um, and guys like that. But I'm sticking with it. I think those are the five best, and that's what I'm rolling with. You said Shea? Yeah, I think Shea's a lefty, isn't he? Only if you uh, consider uh, shooting a basketball with his right hand at the lefty. Is he, is he not a lefty? I thought he was a lefty. Shea's a righty. Um, well, I know you would know. So you're going so to so Oh, so Ian's um, going with a four-man lineup. Already Hayes has an advantage. I, I think if, if Ian rolls that five on the floor, they're going to they're gonna eject Shea, give you a T for throw, kind of a righty on the court. Huge <laughs> advantage already. Um, no, he is, a, he is a righty. Right. Um, but, well, so if you, if you just were Googling it, um, you might – there, there are some like he might like, there's something like the that. problem is I'm googling it and all it's doing is showing him driving left and laying it up with his left hand. Well, if you maybe Google Shea left hand, <laughs> I well, and so another guy like that who people might think is lefty is John Wall because he dunks left handed, but he's a righty. Um, I'll take James Harden and Darren Fox, I guess it's kind of weird, but like. Those are two great great guards, and I didn't have yeah. a chance to really lay this out. Gobert's lefty, right? I think Gobert's a lefty. He dunks so much. I don't know. Yeah, he's Does he ever take like, real shots? Unless you're watching a lot of free throws, you don't really know. I think he's a lefty. I'll take him down uh, um, in the paint. Maybe like a Kelly Oubre or somebody. You know? Yeah. Um, and then – if I may, uh, this is a huge asterisk, but I'm going to use it since Andrews and Shea. I'll take a LeBron James who writes left hand. <laughs> so LeBron will be my three. Oh, you guys! I am currently right now watching Rudy Gobert take free throws just to give you the opportunity, and he is a right-handed shooter, so he oh, is wow. not. You in. cheated twice. With so, that so, said, so, you I all you had to do a three-guard lineup of. De'Aaron Fox, Russell. Mike Conley, and 
James Harden and you or D'Angelo Russell. You just got yeah. D'Angelo. You're not having him on the team. So right. both of you lose. You well, both hang on, lose. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. D'Angelo Russell's objectively better than Mike Conley. Not at the game of basketball. Current state Mike Conley, though. Current state Mike Conley. Currently, I think D'Angelo's better than Mike Conley. Currently. Currently. Not with De'Aaron Fox and James Harden. Not on my now, team. You guys, now, no, you guys are out. In two weeks. I'm the winner. I in win. In two weeks, though, in two weeks, though, if Mike Conley starts looking like Memphis Mike Conley a little bit, then I will happily change my mind. I'm not a Russell defender. But currently, as, as it is right this minute, I would say Russell's better. Final one. Final award. And this is not the best edition of the offseason. I want you guys to bring in the intangibles, the what you feel their personality fits with that team. Basketball skill is important, but it has to be intangibles as well. The best new teammate award from the 2020 offseason would be. So any player that was added to a new team in the offseason and how their fit is going to mesh with that current team. I will give you mine first, since I just won the lefty game. I'm going to go Aaron Baines for two reasons. Ooh. One. You have the key I, to my heart. I love what he brings to this basketball team. It is Maybe not. He's a lefty. I would rather have Marcus All and Serge Ibaka. No, he's not a lefty. He just kicks his foot out when he when he shoots. So everyone thinks he's, you know, he, he's shooting weird. I would rather have Marcus All and Serge Ibaka than Aaron Baines. I would. For what they can bring from an all-around basketball perspective, the di- the diversity that they can provide, the the matchup uh, the matchup differences that they can that they can apply to a bunch of different teams, I would rather have that. But I love what Aaron Baines can bring to this team. I think that he's going to be overrated by Raptors fans. I do, but from a culture fit, I think he's perfect. And his his fan club on Twitter is an absolute welcome addition to to Raptors Twitter. So Aaron Baines is mine. Hayes, we'll go to you last. Ian, who is your best new teammate? I mean, this is the easy answer, but it is Chris Paul. I mean, it is Chris Paul for a variety of reasons, right? Because he's been called we, a good teammate for his entire career. No, but I mean, that team needs an adult in the room, big time. They need someone that's going to drive those young players to greater heights. Chris Paul is undoubtedly going to do that, even if it means that he's going to be mean to them. Um, I would say he's going to make his big men better. He's going to help Devin Booker in the backcourt from the sense that he's going to play defense and he's going to put Book in spots where he can succeed. And he's going to do wonders for shooters on that team. I mean, Cameron Johnson is going to be launching wide open jumpers, warm up jumpers for the majority of the season because of the position that Chris Paul is going to put them in. I know it's the easy answer. I love the idea of Gasol and, you know, LeBron and AD spinning off Gasol passing in the post. I love all that. But sometimes the easy answer is the right answer. So I got Chris Paul here. Just so you know, I agree with you. Hayes, to you for the final award. And you can't well, say da baby to the rocket to the Rockets, okay? We can't we can't do that one. I I was gonna take the easy answer as well, um, Chris Paul, for the reasons Ian stated. Um, but I'll I'll, I'll go Al Horford. Um Ooh, I, I love that that's one. That's a good one. Yeah. That is yeah. a good one. I like that one. I think, I think he's absolutely going to be good there. You know, it's talk about an adult in the room. He he is the veteran there. Um, I think I think. Yeah, good. Um, I don't know. I think it'll work out. So I'll, I'll go forward. Uh, he's one B to Chris Paul's one A. Okay. So I need to quit the podcast. Hayes has to take my spot because that is, I love the Horford edition. I know it was a cap dump. That is an amazing answer. I love that edition for them. All right, buddy. We made it last game. Who would you rather? Or in some of these cases, what would you rather? We're going to throw out two different people. 
or scenarios that you get to pick. We're only going to you. We're not going round table. So we're going to go quick. Ian and I are going to alternate our questions. Are you ready? I guess so. Buckle up. As a basketball player and not an asset, who would you rather, Shea Gilders-Alexander or Michael Porter Jr.? Shea. That's a tight one. Zion or Ja? Do I get more context? So you are starting your franchise tomorrow. Going forward, your goal is to build a championship team. Which player are you taking? Zion. I mean, so why? So can you talk me through why you hesitate? Um, because if I want to right now, you know, maybe Joff for this season because we've seen Joff be really good last year. Zion really, but he obviously didn't play that much. And um, who knows? About, who knows about injuries is always kind of question with him. But if I want to win a championship long term, I mean, Zion's too much of a talent to pass up on for the same reason Winston passed on him in the draft. So I got to go. I got to go Zion. Both players are, fr- are a free agent and willing to sign with you at three years, $25 million total. Oh. Christian Wood or Wendell Carter Jr.? I'll take Christian Wood. Um, he looked really good. Um, I got to talk to you. Yeah, you've, lost, you've lost your spot on the podcast. Like, yeah, I know Ian, Wendell Ian's has some injury issues. But like- I got to talk to you guys, man. <laughs> Ian's back on. Ian's back in. Oh. So Christian Wood. I, I love Christian so, Wood, but like I think the Christian, train I think, has gone crazy on Christian. I think Christian Wood is is really good. I understand it's hard because Wendell Carter hasn't played. So right now, if you're paying anybody, you pay the guy who's going to play. I get that. I just think Carter Carter has tantalizing upside, and right. that's another guy from that 2018 draft. Yeah. By the way, you know so. Tantalizing upside. I love his teammates. Yeah. Um, next one. Would you rather have Lamelo Ball or the number eight pick in next year's draft? Lamelo Ball. Really? Yeah. I mean. Okay. So, what draft pick would you rather have next year than Lamelo? That's a good question. Um, I mean, eight. Not eight. Like three or four. So you mm-hmm. think that he goes in the top five in next year's draft if he's in it? Apparently so. I think that, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. And you laid out I don't know the answer. <laughs> when you always feel like that, yeah, that, that is what I think. Because no, I figured like, a college guy, Hayes, would know. I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily know. I know this was a weak class, and I'd prefer to have the pick next year. I just don't know what number I'd prefer. Eight's tough. Yeah. I mean, even that – the 2018 class we talked about. I wonder who went who, who eight that year. I wonder if there was wasn't it Cam, was Cam Reddish or was that I thought it was I thought it was Wendell, wasn't it? Might have been. Comes full circle. So we just talked about. Speaking uh, of- number eight was ah Wendell was seven. Colin Sexton was eight. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather Lamella. And that's in a deep deep draft. You get Lamella or Colin Sexton. You know. Yeah, I'd rather yeah. Lamella. All right, hold, don't hold yourself to who the Cavs draft. Uh, you are Phoenix in the year 2018. Coming full circle, DeAndre Ayton or Marvin Bagley if Hayes Gardner is the GM of the team? <laughs> Hayes and I thought about this for months. Do I have do I have 2020 foresight at this point? Because if so, no. Actually, if I have 2020. You assume Marvin Bagley. No, 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 no. no. no yeah, yeah, he can. He can have 2020 foresight. You can have foresight. foresight but yeah, Bagley's you can, have, you can either have. Well, you can either have 
No, no, no. You have 2024 sight. So it's like what you know now, you can go back and change it, but their careers are the same. One guy gets suspended for PEDs and is going to play in Phoenix. The other guy just doesn't play. Uh, I will um, say I don't want to be held to these parameters. I'll just draft Luca instead of either. <laughs> the what a cop out. And reap the benefits. I, right. I thought Bagley was the pick back then. I, I, uh, I was in the minority then, and I'm very much in the minority now. <laughs> No one would dare uh, admit that they thought that in 2018. So have you sold your condo on Bagley Island or are you boarding up the windows or are you still holding firm? Well, I think, I think he'll be like pretty good. Uh, I don't think he'll be the number two guy in that draft. Good. I don't, I don't believe many people think that. Um, I, uh, so the windows I, are boarded. Yeah. I, I, really, I really wish, I really wish uh, <laughs> I, we, we were higher on Luke at the time. I, uh, that's what I would do that. I would take Luca. Yeah. Great. Fair. Wasn't the question, but that's fine. <laughs> All right. So this one I did for Sean. So he can't answer, but you can. Okay. Devin Booker or Brad Beal? For this year or for just the- in general, moving forward, moving forward. Well, I know what Sean thinks. Um, I feel like Beal's, I don't know how old he is. Booker's young. How old? I think he's twenty five years. I think he's twenty five years old. Beal? I think he's yeah, younger yeah. than everyone thinks. Yeah, he must be. That's the case. He's, he is twenty seven. Sorry, so I, he's just two years ago for me. Yeah. Um, I think I'll take Beal. I think. Mm. And oh, by I... the way, you don't know my answer. I would take Devin Booker moving forward. I just think oh. that Bradley Beal was a better basketball player last year, which is two completely different questions. Uh, speaking of a different question, let's get to the next one. The next half decade, so the next five years, mm-hmm. you can either have Luka Doncic or Giannis. That's, that's a big, that's a money question. Luka's coming up a lot. Well, I mean. And, and let, let, let's, let, let's put a little twist. You don't get Giannis on the Bucks or Luka on the Mavericks. This is like. 2K expansion team fantasy draft. Right. Like you have the first pick, but you can only pick these two guys, and you got to build your team around them. Luca for the next half decade, or Giannis for the next half, half decade. I like watching Luca more, um, for obvious reasons. I love three pointers. I love what Luca does, but I think I think I have to take Giannis for the next five years. My only concern with Giannis is that when the playoffs get really tough. Are we a thousand percent sure that he can score the basketball? No, of course not. He hasn't proven it. You're talking a lot of trash about the back-to-back MVP. No, no, no. I think he's amazing, and what he does defensively, and what he does mm-hmm. in transition, how he makes his teammates better. I mean, he's unbelievable. But the next step has to be in a playoff series. Do I know for a fact that I just gave you the supermax and you can go score? I didn't give you super, I, I'm not Utah. I'm not Utah. I didn't give you $205 million to, depre- to protect the rim. I gave you 250 to do everything. So you have to score. There's three things that Giannis has taught me. And I don't know the answer. He's a generational talent. He can drop 50 on a Thursday against Orlando. And Hulu has live sports. Let's get to the last question. It's the last one. Better MVP case in 2020-2021. Curry, if Golden State gets the five or six seed... Or Embiid, if Philly gets the second or third seed. Good question. Um, I think I think Curry's gonna have a hard time getting one 
because he already has two. Um, Ooh, good point. You know, it shouldn't matter, but it does. It just affects perception. I think if Embiid gets the two seed in the East, that, that's going to be considered. Uh, people are going to look at look at that um, w- with a lot of positive thought. And if they do that, he's going to have a great year. So I'll take Embiid at the two, at the two seed. Well, Hayes, you've been very generous with your time. We really appreciate it. This was enlightening. This was entertaining. And it's just all around fun, man. Basketball is back. Thank you, Hayes, for coming on the podcast. Hayes Gardner, everyone, make sure that you're checking him out at his publication that I'm not going to try and read because I don't want to mess it up. You know what, Hayes? Tell everyone where they can find you. You can find me at uh, couriergournal.com is where our articles are. Um, And my Twitter is Hayes Gardner. Um, Thanks to you both for, for having me on. It was fun, guys. Thanks, buddy. 